Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. are some seats for people if you're looking for seats there's some over there and there's a few uh we're kind of working the kinks out this morning and kind of getting stuff figured out so uh um okay here we go um (laughs) it's it's weird being back inside and and kind of kind of hitting all this stuff um this morning uh we're gonna end up talking a little bit about um our hearts. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because our, our culture, really, I think the human race has a fascination with, with the heart. Um, and I think part of it, you can see it by the way uh, pop culture and even music um, had, there's so many songs about the heart. There's, you know, the, the song, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, which everyone remember. If you hear that song, you have to be standing somewhere where it's windy and wet and you could fall over. Um, you know, and then, uh, there's, uh, there's the eighties had, um, I would argue some of the best music best meaning best and worst in ever. Thank you. Thank you. I heard that. Amen. Um, yes. Like, uh, listen to your heart, which is great and terrible advice, um, by Roxette. Um, and following that up, tell it to my heart. I feel like those songs should go like in sequence, listen to your heart, tell it to my heart. And then there's always total eclipse of the heart, which that sounds really disturbing. Um, but, you know, it's just so interesting that there's so many things, there's so many things that we're so caught up with, with our hearts. And, and, and uh, you know, throughout the Bible, um, God does talk about our heart and how, how our hearts are, can be very deceptive, how our hearts can be broken, how our hearts can be hard, how our hearts can be soft in all of these things. And, and so we tend to think that the more we know about things, the better off we'll be. But judging from the sheer volume of information around us, um, I'm, not that, I'm not sure that, that that's actually true. And there's a reality that, that there's only one thing that can fix what's wrong in and in, in, in around us, and that is the hope of Jesus Christ. And only God can fix our hearts through the humility that begins with persisting in the shadow of the cross. Um, not memorization, not miracles, not morality, not movement, only by the recognition and the confession of sin provoked by the crucified and risen Jesus will change our hearts and move us into a place that we need to be. And so this morning, we're going to catch up with Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus is in the region of Galilee, and uh, he, he has um, just come from a place from earlier in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus is in his hometown, and he's the people in his hometown have basically started to question if they really should be listening to this guy. And, uh, and we see Jesus send his disciples out two at a time to go and witness, and he gives them power and authority over the things, uh, the things around them. And, 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 then, and then what happens is we come back and we, we see that even the, the rulers are starting to get frustrated, starting to think we need to do something about Jesus. And, and, so, and so Jesus ministers as we all do in a context of personal and communal tension. 
Um, if we expect that, that going out and, 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 and sharing the gospel or preaching Jesus or sharing our testimony is going to be something that will be met with, with always with welcome arms, we're expecting more than what happened to Jesus. And so we have to remember that that's the context, that's the environment that we're sent into. And the challenge of Jesus is not limited to kind of just surface improvements in people's lives, but Jesus demands a whole life transformation. And that's why it's a threatening, the gospel is a threatening message to us because we are really all about our own agendas. And we're really good at defending our agendas. And so we see in the, in the gospel of, of Mark a growing opposition to the message and mission of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 30 in chapter 6 of Mark. And, and, and basically what, what Jesus does is he, he tries to get a little bit of distance from the crowd. And so in verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they come back from this, this he sent them out. In Mark, in, in Mark 3, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, and he says that they might be with him and that he might send them out. So there's this twofold purpose for the disciples, that they might be with him and then he might send them out. And so for anyone who's a disciple of Jesus, who's a follower of Jesus, there are two things that should characterize our lives, is that we are with Jesus and that we go where he calls us to go to spread his message to the world around us. And so it says, the apostles returned from this trip. And in verse 31, it says, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus kind of, his, his value on rest and making sure that, that, that he's, he's at a place where, where he's not burned out, he's not exhausted. And so then it says, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And I want to stop there for a second because I want to describe the crowd that is there in Mark chapter 6 chasing Jesus and, and looking for him. It's a very particular crowd. We, we see crowds that, that follow Jesus to... to um, to get healing, crowds that are there to see Jesus do miracles, crowds that follow Jesus because they're interested in, in intellectual engagement. But this crowd was different. And, and this crowd, Jesus tries to get some distance, get some rest, but, but the crowd follows him. And it says that there was 5,000 men in this crowd. And, and, and there's a significance, I think, of, of, of all the gospels all the gospels specify that there was 5,000 men in this crowd. So there may have been women. We know from the gospel of John that there was a younger, a younger boy in the crowd who had a little lunch with him. But, but all the gospels make it a point to say that there was 5,000 men there. And, and it's interesting because in the gospel of John, that's the only gospel where we get a little bit more insight to the nature of this crowd. In the gospel of John, John says at the end, that as Jesus was teaching, that the crowd, the men in the crowd, tried to take Jesus by force to make him king. I want you to think about that for a second. If you've got 5,000 men and, 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 and you're somewhere, and let's say you're somewhere and there's 5,000 men, and, and if, if, the per, if, if, the, if the motivation was to say, hey, I don't care if you want to be king or not. We're going to take you by force and make you king. What does that say about the crowd? The crowd has a very specific purpose in being there. Likely, they were there to persuade Jesus 
to take on a role of either military leader toward insurrection. Here's the, what's interesting. In that area of Galilee, that region of Galilee, it was a very uh, volatile political situation because they were under Roman rule and, and there were a ton of Jewish zealots in that area. Jewish zealots were the ones who over the course of the Roman occupation would rise up and try to overthrow the yoke of, of, the, of the Roman government that, that was on them. And so they kept trying to kind of having different movements and there's all kinds of historical movements from, from the zealots to, to overthrow the yoke of Rome. And so, and so there it was, I mean, can you, can you even imagine, I'm sure you can't, a highly charged political environment. I mean, I know that's hard to imagine. You really have to work on that. And can you imagine that there'd be people who are saying, like, overthrow this? I mean, it's just, I, I can't even imagine it. But, 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 but that's kind of the context that they were in. And so here, this, this group, this crowd, they're, they're tracking down Jesus in the wilderness because they're in this wilderness region, which, again, is interesting because the wilderness is kind of that traditional location where these movements that the zealots were part of started. They started in the wilderness. And, and so here, here we have in each gospel, all four gospels, this story at the end of, of the feeding of, of these 5,000 plus people, Jesus sidesteps the crowd after he taught and fed them. And so it's interesting that, that here these, this group of people were ready to start a movement to make Jesus king. And what I think is interesting is that we as, as human beings, we tend to seek glory and fame. We call that the Messiah complex when we do that. There's that clinical term for it. Yet here in Mark's gospel, Jesus evades fame and glory. The one guy in history who should have had a Messiah complex is the actual Messiah who lingers in the background as a secret servant. Just something to think about in the ministry of Jesus and the ministry that Jesus calls us to. And, and, so, and so Mark begins to, to talk a little bit about what happens. And so he focuses on this, this incredible thing where Jesus engages this crowd, he teaches them, and then, and then he, he actually feeds them. But there's something, again, another thing that I think is super important that we catch, because in verse 34, kind of where we left off halfway through, it says, when he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd. And, and we understand what the, what the mindset of that crowd was at this point. They were there for action. And, and, and here's what it says. It says, it says, he recognized them, and, and it says that, that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. This is a crowd that is super hyped up. This is a crowd that had a very particular agenda for what they wanted to see happen that day. And Jesus looked out on the crowd and had compassion. And I want, I want everyone to catch this. More than, maybe even more than anything else that, that, that I say this morning, it is okay to have emotions during this time of chaos. But I want you to hear clearly that Jesus never never, never, never intended to bring the kingdom of God through politics or legislation. 
If that were so, he would have seen this crowd of 5,000 men who were ready to make him king as an army without a general. But that's not what scripture says. He didn't do that. He saw the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. You see, if we look around as as Jesus followers and we see humanity as, as an army to be wielded or an army to be defeated, then we don't see humanity like Jesus saw them. Jesus looked out and he saw them as sheep, as a shepherd. It would be so easy for him to have seen them as an army to be wielded as a general, but Jesus saw himself as a shepherd. He was a shepherd, and that's what he saw. In those people, he saw sheep. And you see, Jesus brought the kingdom of God through serving and sacrifice for the vulnerable and abused sheep that he saw that would, that would want to make him king or make him a criminal. And if you think this is kind of simplified, just read the Gospels. Read how Jesus sees people throughout his entire earthly ministry. Read, read the epistles, what the, what, the God, what the writers of the epistles call us to on, because of the model of Jesus, because of what he's done. They call us to the same serving and sacrifice. And then read on to Revelation. Because here's the reality. Jesus will come back as a general, but he won't be leading an army. He'll be an army of one because that's all it takes for Jesus to make everything right. It doesn't, he doesn't need to hype up a group of people because Jesus is enough to bring all of this to fruition. And so he will come back, but in that moment, what he saw and what he calls us to see is to have compassion on the world around us, even those who have an agenda that don't fit with the Son of God. He sees them with compassion, and it says that he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. But until then, until Jesus returns as that general, the army of one, we need to stop scaring people by, by being careless about our comments and painting targets on the deceived. We need to stop being scared by what is happening in the world around us, as if, some, as if somehow the effects of the completed work on the cross won't last. We need to remember that we are Jesus' disciples who are called to be with him and that he might send us out to the world. We can have emotion, but don't let that emotion have more of an influence than the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Don't get off track. I know that we're in a season, we've been in a season, and things just seem to be getting worse. People seem to be more angry with each other. People seem to be less hopeful, all of those things. Understand that this is, this is exactly the context that Jesus walked and taught in. And we don't have to fear because Jesus is still working. And so Jesus goes and he, and he sits with the crowd and he teaches them. And it says, it says that when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, the hour is now late. Send them away, go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples, frustrated with Jesus and probably a little discouraged, said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's more than numerous years of wages. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in the groups on the green grass 
so that they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taken the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And so what we see is, is there's this moment that Jesus tells his disciples, hey, well, go feed them then if they're hungry. Don't send them away, go feed them. And, and their response was frustration and, and like, really, Jesus? They're probably even sarcasm as they responded to Jesus. And there's this, Jesus gives his disciples a responsibility to feed the crowd and it reveals their inability to cope with the situation. Like the disciples were kind of like, well, what do we do? We don't know what to do. How are we supposed to do this, Jesus? How often do we sometimes wonder, Jesus, how are we supposed to do this? Because I don't know how to do this. And Jesus says, well, look at what you have. Because when you find out what you have, what I've already provided, I can do so much more than, with it than you can imagine. And really, the, the focus on this really wasn't just necessarily the, the significance of feeding, but it was the reaction of the disciples to what Jesus had done and how they processed that. Because you've got five loaves and two fish that fed over 5,000 people, and they had 12 large baskets left over. And, 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 it's, and it's so interesting that, 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 that in, in, verse, in verse 41, where, where G, and it says, in taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the people. This is actually a, a, almost a, a look back to the Old Testament. In, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44, Elijah took bread and he fed hungry men. And, he, and it was kind of another kind of miraculous feeding. And so it points back to Elisha. And then not only that, but as the Lord, as Jesus Christ breaks the bread for the 5,000 people plus, it also is a look forward to the Eucharist, to communion, to the Lord's Supper. And so in verse 41, where Jesus breaks the bread, I don't want you to miss it because even in the midst of this incredible miracle, what you see is that Jesus is, is hearkening back to the great prophets of the Old Testament. And then he's looking forward to what he's going to do in a matter of, of months when he gives his own life for our sin. And so all of this points to a messianic fulfillment. This points to the fact that he is the Messiah. And remember that the crowd wants to make him king, but that's not why he's here. That's not his point. And, and so it's interesting, at the end of each gospel, there's no mention of the crowd's reaction because it seems like they might be unaware of what actually happened, the, the magnitude of this miracle. But, but I think the reason that, 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 that the gospels don't talk about that is because the focus is on the response of the disciples, what they've learned about Jesus or what they missed about Jesus. And so, and so then in verse 45, what we, what we see is, is, is Jesus goes and he, and he says, it says, immediately he went and made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after that, he had taken leave of them. He went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. In other words, they weren't doing a great job of crossing the sea. 
They weren't, they, I don't know if they weren't really rowing in sync or what was going on. I, it sounds like the, the water was kind of rough. It was difficult, but they weren't making good headway. And so I think Jesus kind of is like, okay, well, I know who I am. I'm going to take the express lane. I'm not going to get in the boat with a bunch of people who don't know how to row. I mean, I know that they probably did know how to row because they were fishermen, but they're not doing a great job. And so Jesus is like, nobody's got time for that. And so, and so Jesus, it says, and when he saw they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Notice that he, did, he wasn't even going to stop. Jesus is walking on the water like they're on their own. <laughs> like, you guys figure it out because I'm not messing with that. I, it's just, I'm going to tell you to do this. You're not going to do it. You're not going to listen. And, and so I'm just, so it says Jesus meant to just walk by them. And think about almost the, the, like, the humor in that. Like you just, there's a guy walking by on a stormy and windy sea. And, and so it says that Jesus just kind of, his intent was to walk by them. And it says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And we're going to come back to that in a second, but, but here's what I want, you, I want you to catch about this whole walking on the sea. You see, there is an increasingly supernatural portrait that we see in Mark of Jesus and an increasing inability of the disciples to comprehend and grow from that. Like they keep seeing Jesus do these things, but they're not really getting it. And, and so Jesus, is, is, you know, he gets across. And then, it, and, then it's, and then in verses 51 and 52, it says that they were utterly dismayed or they were utterly amazed. And then it says Jesus says that they didn't understand what happened. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But, but here's the reality is that as we, as we move on and, and finish the, the passage in verse 53, it says, when they had crossed over, they came to land at, at, at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment as, and as many as touched it were made well. As they get on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, what we see is that, is that the crowd is seeking Jesus to make them physically whole. It doesn't say that they're pursuing him for a life change, for a transformation, to trade their agenda for his agenda. And it's interesting because it says that people are going just to touch the, 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 the fringe of his robe, which suggests that the, the passage Travis preached uh, last week about the, the woman who was hemorrhaging, the fame of what happened there probably spread. And so that kind of explains why people were just trying to touch Jesus then. Because they heard about the woman who had touched the robe of Jesus and she was immediately healed from a 12-year-long malady. And so what's interesting here is that the crowd, the crowds that are following Jesus want either a military or political leader or someone who would fix their wounds. The disciples who were given special revelation about the kingdom of God were constantly surprised by Jesus because they failed to grasp who he really was. But here's the whole point of this whole passage. There's an incredible miracle that he feeds over 5,000 people. 
There's an incredible miracle that Jesus walks on the water. There's incredible miracles that everyone Jesus runs into, he heals them from their illness. All of those things are incredible. And you think, well, isn't that the point of this passage? Isn't that the point that Jesus can do all these things, that he's got power over, 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 over everything that's created, from food to, 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 to nature to, to sickness? Isn't that the point? But it's not the point because, again, you go back to verses 51 and 52, and it says he got in the boat with them, And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, the focus of the water walking wasn't the resolution of the crisis, but the reaction of the called. The miracle of the fish and loaves should have reframed for the disciples who Jesus was, but instead they continued to fail comprehension of Jesus' person and Jesus' mission and assimilating that new perspective of who he is and the kingdom of God. And Jesus describes them as hard-hearted. And now think about this terminology for a second. Jesus says that the disciples who were with him, and he had already sent them out to minister It says that they were hard-hearted. He characterizes them this way three times in the Gospel of Mark. Do you know know who Jesus describes as hard-hearted, typically? Outsiders and opponents. (laughs) That's who are described as hard-hearted. People who are opponents of, of the cause and ministry of Jesus and those who are outsiders. Yet he calls his disciples hard-hearted. You see, a hard heart is a voluntary state of mind that any one of us can be in. It is stubborn and unyielding to truth and prevents perception of wisdom. A hard heart keeps us from seeing clearly and it keeps us from thinking clearly. Our hearts, our con- our hearts control the attention of our minds. Do you realize? Think about that for a second. Your heart controls where your mind's attention goes. If you have your heart set on something, you can't stop thinking about it. Where your heart is, that's where your mind will be. Your your heart directs that attention. And, And so we cannot properly understand and process truth when we have hard hearts. And so Jesus looks and he says that the reaction of the disciples was that they were utterly amazed. It's so, it's so interesting because they were in a situation, in a circumstance where, where, where they were constantly tempted by ideology, by expectation, by the popularity of Jesus, and by temptation. They were constantly just pulled in all kinds of directions. Do you think that the disciples, when they saw the 5,000 men on the other side of the, 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 the water and they got out there and they knew, you could tell, they knew, they knew that there was a lot of zealots in this crowd. They were ready They were ready for action. Do you think maybe the disciples were like, hey, this is it. (laughs) And guess what? We're with Jesus. And so we're going to be, we're going to be like the new rulers of Israel. But that's not what Jesus did. And it seems like the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 seemed to take little hold on them because by nightfall, they had reset. Here, Jesus just fed over 5,000 people with, with 
like a Lunchable. <laughs> like, think about it. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. I'd want the basket with all the Snickers left over. That's what I would want. But anyway, Jesus did that. And by nightfall, the disciples were terrified because they're like, who is this walking on the water? Who do you think is walking on the water? Like, honestly, who do you think is walking on the water after Jesus just did this? Like, go through your options. <laughs> like, for real, this is so ridiculous. And they're terrified. They're utterly astounded that Jesus is walking on the water. The, 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 the truth of Jesus' divine nature had not been fixed in the hearts of the disciples. And you'd think, of course, someone who just did A would unsurprisingly be able to do B, right? You would think that that would be the logic behind it, but they don't get it. They miss it. And you see, hardness of heart prevents us from seeing God's hand at work in all things. There can be no genuine gratitude or repentance with a hard heart. You see, there's, there's some consequences of having a hard heart because when our hearts are hardened, and, and remember that Jesus described the disciples as being hard-hearted. So I don't think it's that far from me being hard-hearted if the disciples are hard-hearted. And, and see, when we have a hard heart, we tend to embrace errors while zealously defending them. I mean, look back into the history of the American church where pastors actually defended slavery with their hard hearts. You see, hard hearts mistake the most bitter and even ferocious zeal for true religion. I mean, look at, look at some of the unbelievable things that were done in the name of Jesus during the Crusades. A hard heart mistakes fanatical impudence for Christian faithfulness all the while under a pretense of faith. You see, a false, there's a false hope in professing Christ, yet, yet our lives display few or no fingerprints of the character of Jesus. Those are results of a hard heart if we persist in our hard-heartedness. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you didn't even understand the miracle of the fish and loaves because you have a hard heart. Like we look at that and we read scripture and think, how could you not understand the miracle? But they were right there and they didn't. And you think, well, I would have understood it. I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> in a sense, I'm glad Jesus doesn't do things like that in front of me today because I probably wouldn't get it. And so here, here's, here's the thing. There is hope for anyone who has a hard heart. There is hope for the disciples because confession always precedes a softening of our heart. And the manner of confession indicates the state of my heart. Is it, is it, you know, sometimes we say sorry or we apologize for our own vindication, don't we? And other times we go into repentance and confession because we've really recognized how deep our sin runs in our own lives. And there is a, there is a, there is a mourning of our, of our, of our, of our confession. And so I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, is my heart hard? Is the description Jesus gave of his disciples, is that true of me? Am I off track? 
You see, I said this at the beginning of the pandemic in one of our weekly videos. I said that, you know, people say that, you know, we're, we're, all, in, we're all in the same boat, and we're not. We're in different boats. We're in the same storm. And it feels to me like the storm is just getting worse. But here's the reality, and I want you to hear this. The problem with this storm is that we're all in different boats. And the problem is that many people are only focused on their own boat. Others are terrified in their boat. And still others are so hyped up, they're launching things at other people's boats. And we all run the, miss, run the risk of missing Jesus walking on the water of today in the midst of this storm. We run the same risk as the disciples looking out and seeing something out there and saying, oh, I don't know what that is because I've forgotten the cross. I've forgotten the resurrection and I'm not sure if Jesus can get me through this. I'm not sure if Jesus can get us through this. And, and so we run the risk of missing Jesus in the midst of this storm, walking on the water. We miss him because our hearts are hardened. And if the disciples who just saw him multiply fish and breads, their hearts are hard, I think that's possible that we might be missing him today. And, and so really, I think where this brings us, and I think this passage is so appropriate for this week and this season, we've got to ask ourselves, who do we reflect? Who do we look like? Do I have a hard heart like the crowd, wanting Jesus to take over the system instead of being witnesses in an increasingly hostile world? Or maybe I just want, want to, be, to be made whole so I can do what I want. Or am I like the disciples where, where, where I experience God's constant faithfulness, and, but I forget it the moment it's passed, replacing my trust back into myself and the systems of the world that I've invested so much in? Or do I have a humble heart intimate with confession, resulting with a confidence that is not tied to the circumstances in this world. If anything, this trial that we are in, that we're experiencing from the pandemic to civil unrest to the polarization of our society and even the polarization of our churches, it reveals that God's people are far more hard-hearted than we could ever have guessed. But there is hope. God is gracious he loves us so much that, that he has allowed this storm and he is walking among us. He is not absent, but he is here walking in our midst so that we can see him and our hearts can treasure him and our minds can be directed to be renewed in Christ Jesus. That's what is going on right now. And if, and if I have a softened heart, I can see Jesus walking among us. I want to invite the band to come up right now. And, and, and we're, we're going to, we are going to kind of shift into a, a, our time of commitment. But, but before we do that, I want to take this opportunity and I want to ask the prayer team, um, I want the prayer team to go out to the, to the entry, entryway. If you're on the prayer team, please go out there at, at right now. 
And here's, here's what I want to do. And don't worry, you won't miss anything. As I was working through this this week, and as, as, as this week has lots of crazy things happening, an election that wasn't decided and now is decided, but not everyone thinks it's decided. And we continue to go through the, 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 the difficulties of the world around us and the pandemic and all of this. I believe that Jesus is, 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 is focusing on us this morning to say, where is your heart? Is your heart fearful? Is your heart angry? Is your heart ready to give up? Is your heart hardened? Because this morning, Jesus wants to begin to soften our hearts. And so if this morning you are kind of in a place where you are taken by fear, you are taken by anger, you are taken by, by the, the desire to just throw in the towel and give up. I want you to get up right now, and if that's you and, and you need somebody to pray for you, I would ask you to, to, to get up right now and, and go out those doors and, and just ask somebody on the prayer team to pray for you that they would pray that God would, would remind you of his faithfulness, that he would remind you of the miracles that he's just done in your life, how he's been so faithful the entire time you've been alive and, and it'll continue to be faithful and that, and that don't let, let yourself miss the things that Jesus is doing and that they might even pray that, that you would have a softened heart. So I wanna give you just a, just a, a little bit of time that right now if, if, if you are in a place that you say, gosh, I think I look like the disciples or I look like the zealots who were in the crowd wanting to force Jesus into something that was not Jesus' mission. I would encourage you to go out and, and, and spend some time letting someone pray for you and pray over you. And here's somebody who follows Jesus to say, you know what, it is gonna be okay. All of this. Because Jesus looks down on us and he sees us with compassion, like sheep without a shepherd. And he calls to us to come to him. God, I pray right now that, Father, you would, you would do a work of softening our hearts this morning. God, there are so many things that I've been so frustrated with, people I've been frustrated with, events, circumstances. God, I don't tend to get afraid of things. I tend to get angry and demanding and crude. And God, my tendency is to just walk away and let everyone fend for themselves. God, I pray this morning that you would soften my heart. God, that I wouldn't be demanding of you. God, that my eyes would be open to see the miraculous things that you have done and continue to do, your faithfulness to all generations. God, that I am not an, an exception to the people of God throughout history. God, we don't face anything more difficult than anyone who's followed Jesus from the beginning. God, I pray this morning that you would 
move in our hearts that, God, we would finally let go and let you craft and shape and soften our hearts, no matter how difficult that is, no matter what we have to give up, no matter how we have to repent, no matter how we have to confess. Jesus, I pray that when you describe us, you wouldn't describe us as a people whose hearts are hardened and we've missed the point. But God, in this storm that we're walking and that we're, that we're in, that, that God, we would see you walking amongst us. And that we would not be afraid, but we would say, I expected Jesus to be walking among us because that's what he does. Because that's who he is. And that's who he calls us to be. So Father, I pray this morning that you would soften our hearts and our hearts would chase after you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we of all people, regardless of the circumstances around us, have reason to be beyond grateful. We of all people have reason to be grateful. We still regardless of how you see things today, we still live in the freest country in the world, probably in the history of the world. But I want you to know something that that's not why we have reason to be grateful. Our reason for gratitude and, and, and why we are blessed among all people is because despite our rebellion and our arrogance, in great mercy, God has graciously brought us from, from being deceived to truth, from being in sin to confession, from death to eternal life. And he has called us his sons and daughters and brought us together to be with him and to be sent out by him. While we have not been able to gather like we are used to throughout the course of this year, God has not stopped working. We have served, we have encouraged, we have reflected Jesus to a world that has zero hope for anything. Right now, as, as we gather and worship and hear God's word, there's a group of Crosspoint students in Paradise, California, helping with cabins and praying over them as they'll be going out to families who have lost to everything in wildfires. Not a pandemic, not a contentious election. Nothing can stop the family of God from spreading the kingdom of God here on earth because God has been faithful to us. We of all people have reason to be grateful we of all people should be leading the world in gratitude and hope. Today we worship God by recognizing him as the gracious giver of all that we have. It is the day that we, as the Crosspoint family, come together to worship him with our resources and commit to him 
what he's asked us to give over the next year, as uncertain as that may be. We know that he is certain. And he holds this year and next year in the palm of his hand. So anytime and during the next three songs, feel free to leave your seat if you brought a paper commitment and you can place it in the commitment box, which is back there and over there. If you've already done this by mail or online, use this time to listen and thank God for his faithfulness. And my prayer this morning is that we will all see what we have in Christ Jesus and ask that he softens our heart because, because we are exhausted. We are frustrated. We are angry and we are scared. It's time that we as the people of God, recognize Jesus, remembered who he is, and we ask him to soften our hearts so that we may have the maximum impact for his kingdom and as a church family. That we would have hope and we would be hope bringers that we wouldn't be like the crowd demanding Jesus to do a certain thing in our midst or the disciples who were so forgetful, but that we would be a people who have soft hearts and see Jesus walking in the midst of whatever storm we're in. So you can spend the next few minutes in prayer, in reflection, and at any time as the band draws us into to vocal worship, corporate worship. You're welcome to go and put your paper commitments in the boxes. And if you're watching online with us, take some time right now and think about how God has blessed you. And in gratitude, anticipate what God is going to do as we move forward. so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.